we're only talking about out of five. It's not out of a hundred. Like it's a wine spectator ratings. Yeah. We'll just change everybody's rubric. It's now out of a (laughs) hundred. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 214. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, it's the time of year where we all start taking stock and and sometimes realizing maybe we didn't do all we thought we would this year, or where we can look back and be thankful for all of the changes 2019 has brought. It is not too early to start thinking about next year. So last week, we published the 2020 Modern Mrs. Darcy Reading Challenge. My challenge to you is to make this your best reading year yet. As you'll hear in today's episode, best means different things to different people. But we're hoping to help you find more books that are right for you, more time to read, and more enthusiasm for your reading life. Go to modernmrsdarcy.com slash challenge to learn more and get your tools for challenging yourself to read better in 2020. modernmrsdarcy.com slash challenge. Readers, today you're invited to listen in on an ongoing conversation that's been unfolding at my house for nearly 20 years now. My guest is my husband, Will, and I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear it that we've been talking books all the time, pretty much since we first met. Will has also been involved with What Should I Read Next since before the beginning of the show. First, he was the sounding board, and then he was the very first guest. In a sense, that is, because that trial episode was never intended to be aired. He dropped into your feed for the first time in episode 61 called When the Plot Comes Full Circle. And if you haven't listened to that yet, I recommend you go do that either before or after today's episode. Either is totally fine, but I don't want you to miss it. We don't talk about it in today's episode, but Will is also one of the show's producers. He spends hours each week making sure we deliver a great podcast to your ears. But that's not why I wanted him to come back on. Nope, I wanted to talk to him and I wanted you to listen in about how Will pulled a Reading Life 180 and engineered his best reading year to date. I mentioned Will's amazing reading year in an offhand way earlier this year, I did it in a public setting. I can't remember if it was at a Modern Mrs. Darcy book club event or on Instagram, or maybe it was even here on a What Should I Read Next episode. But I said, hey, my husband is having an amazing year. And ever since then, readers have been begging me to bring him back on the show. I think some readers wanted to hear Will's perspective so they could apply his insights to their own reading lives. And honestly, I suspect many readers are hoping to glean a few insights for the guys in their lives. Today, everyone gets their wish. This is such a fun conversation. We talk about his best reading year, of course, but also about finding your own reading lane, reading journals, and revisiting star ratings, and the very specific type of book Will can't help picking up, but is often disappointed in. I also make some recommendations with the help of a former What Should I Read Next guest that wasn't entirely planned, as you'll hear. I can't wait for you to listen to this one. Let's get to it. William, welcome to the show. So glad to be here again. So, funny thing... There is one episode so far with your name on it, and that is episode 61. It's called When the Plot Comes Full Circle. And the reason it's called that is because you were the very first What Should I Read Next trial guest in the episode that was not recorded and is lost to history and lives only in memory in the Allegheny Mountains. I remember, which is funny because we now record everything. We do. We record everything just in case. There's that one time we wish we had it. Well, if we'd known, except that would have been really pretentious, though. It would also sound terrible. <laughs> and he was in, literally in the car 
on the highway. Going 70 miles an hour through the mountains. With kids in the car. I mean, like, yeah, it, it would have been bad. Still, that would have been nice to have. So for that episode 61, which aired on January 10th, 2017, and it's still a good episode, y'all. We found the piece of paper, the relic from the past that we used to record that sample episode in October, I guess October 2015 in the Alleghenies. But now I don't remember exactly what was on it. You can go back and listen to that episode and find out. You said that was January of 2017? So it's been almost three years? Yeah. I thought I had only been two years. It's about time you had me back. <laughs> well, you didn't want to become like a regular guest stinter. You thought that would be weird. It would be. I don't want to be. I don't want and to yet back. we've had so many requests for you to come back because I think readers, well, this might come out sounding wrong, but I think readers find it really hopeful to hear the story of how you were late to come to reading. You didn't really love reading until you were how old? I was probably like 16 when I really started uh, reading on my own. Actually, maybe even for school too. Like, I don't know if I've yeah. for school before. Either, but. <laughs> but you've really ramped it up and now have a vibrant reading life. And when I go on book tour and when I do public events, a question I get asked all the time is, I have this guy in my life who doesn't read and I want him to, can you help me? And so I think readers hear you and they hear your story and they're like, there is hope. Well, and even 16, I mean, that there's a marker because I remember a time when like I just had to finish a book. But even after that, when we were first married and, and uh, first adult reading, uh, it was like all nonfiction. And I, I wasn't tracking then. I don't know how many books I read, but I don't think it was that many. So even just in the last few years, I'm, I'm reading way more than I used to. So I mentioned on the blog on the podcast. I don't remember. It's a peril of the business. But I mentioned the comment that you had made a while ago where you said, I am having the best reading year I have ever had. And you know what I got in reply? I got like a flood of messages from people saying, what is he reading? Like we need to know what Will is reading. That was actually last year. I'm reading different stuff now. Uh, so it turns out this year, I've actually read more books already than I did all of last year, but they're not quite as good. Ooh, proving the point. Yeah. So quality over quantity. Yeah, which one's the better reading year? I don't, I don't know. Are you choosing your books differently? I'm on the podcast this year, so <laughs> I'm getting help. I don't think it's so different. Okay, this is a working theory. But my theory is that it just shakes out that way sometimes. I don't think the goal of the reading life should be for it to be like better every year, you know, like you're a Fortune 500 company. You're not, and that's okay. And I feel like if that's what we expect of ourselves, then we don't take chances on different stuff. And we don't get out of the lane that we've made for ourselves. And that's not what we want long-term. Also, I know you've heard me say things like, I've read a lot of really good books, but I haven't read any great books. So my average might be pretty good. But I mean, you know, I'm always looking for the book that's just like angel singing, trumpets blaring. I want everyone I know to read this. And sometimes there's a lot of months between those books. Yes, sometimes there are. So tell me more about your reading year this year. Well, this year, I may have taken a little more chances. I've also read some like TBR stuff that I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's been on my list for a long time. And I should finally just mm -hmm. knock it off, which isn't, you know, I mean, I clearly I wanted to read them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been on the list. But I think there's also some like should in there. Like, I, I feel like I'm missing out on something, but it's not like the highest priority that this is the thing I'm dying to read. Whereas last year, actually last fall specifically, I, I read a couple of authors that I then just like tore through their stuff and really got a lot of great reads out of that. Are we going to hear about them more in your favorites? <laughs> Two of them, maybe. Yeah. So you have been able to say with confidence, that was my best reading year yet. But how did you know? So I did start tracking my reading. I think just 
three years ago, maybe 2017. And I know looking at it last year, I had more like five star reads. Although I think I got halfway through this year and you looked at, you looked at my reading list and you're like, I don't really understand the system here. And I don't know if I like made it all the way to April and thought I was on a four star system instead of five stars or, or what the deal is. But I, I don't think there were as, as many great books this year, for sure. I, I, I definitely agree with that. But I also think I might have lost a star in my rating system. I remember that because you, I don't know. We were looking at your book journal and I was like, I, you told me you really liked that book, but you only gave it three stars. And you were like, wait, how, wait, hold on. How many are there supposed to be? I thought that was good. <laughs> Maybe that's not good. I think the best book I read this year might be The River, and I only give it four stars. But I read it earlier in the year before I realized, like, wait, maybe I'm doing this wrong. If I used to do five stars, should I continue doing five stars? Do you know I'm changing my mind about star ratings? I've always been really stingy with my stars, and I I think I've decided that that's no way to live. You're just going to take one away? No, I'm just going to start, like, tacking them on. Because <laughs> in the past, I thought, well, you know, if Jane Austen gets five stars... Then to give you four is a contemporary author is a huge, huge compliment. Like that's how I've looked at it before. And I've decided like, why be so parsimonious? Like they're just stars. And also people, they're important for when people are talking about books and buying books. That's why I don't use stars on Goodreads, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking about changing my ways. So I'm definitely changing my mind about the star ratings. Like stingy is no way to live. You all can argue with me about this in the show notes if you want to. I've never really thought of stars necessarily as comparing two individual books. Oh, I love that your brain doesn't work like an algorithm. Yeah. I mean, so, so if you say, you know, one of the greatest, I don't know, Jane Austen doesn't rank that high for me, but if you, if you're going to say I'm comparing this to one of the greatest works of English literature, is it really that close? That doesn't seem fair. Like if you really loved a book, then doesn't that get five stars? Especially, we're only talking about out of five. It's not out of 100. Like it's a Wine Spectator ratings? Yeah. We'll just change everybody's rubric. It's now out of 100. (laughs) Okay. You say that's not how you choose what to read, but that is definitely how people choose to read. Stars? Yes. Well, sure. But I don't know how many stars other people gave books. So that's not how I choose to read. Well, I admire that. I don't think... That's a solid way to choose books because what a star does here, I'm going to stand up in my soapbox. It evaluates if a book was right for you, much more so than was the book any good. So you can't look at somebody else's star rating and know if that book is going to be right for you. So you've had to find other ways to choose books since you're not perusing Goodreads and Instagram, being that I don't believe you have accounts either places. It is hard to find star ratings when I'm not on Goodreads, so... Well, I really like that you have been reading more because it's been like really fun for me, both personally and really helpful professionally. Because now you'll be like, hey, you got a lot of summer reading guidebooks. Can I help you with some of those? Yes, which leads to some different picks. You know, I mean, they're, they're a lot of times books I've never even heard of or authors that I haven't heard of, but they come in the mail and I'm like, well, this is on your stack. And it, <laughs> you know, the cover jumps out as me. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll read this one and leave some of the others to you. Well, I'm laughing because sometimes I've been really surprised at what you've picked up. Oh, like what? There was one recently, it was like a serious literary novel. I remember thinking, why that one? It ended up not being any good. Uh, What about Restoration Heights? Oh, yeah. I was surprised you picked that one up. Though I don't know why. I mean, it's a dude book in Brooklyn, I think. And I've been meaning to to read that. I met the author Will Medeiros at SIBA last year. This is a book that came out in January. And I just didn't get there. You know, well, it's a, it was a great January book. So I, I read it as a potential summer reading guide. And then it was like not summer at all. I think it's literally winter in Brooklyn. I think that's sort of the the backdrop. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it, but uh, it, it ended up being one of those that 
you know, I was like, yeah, you don't have to bother with this because it's not going to work for summer reading. It would be great for January if you want to do it now. I just might. I don't remember if I was really surprised by this at the time, but one of the more memorable books you've snagged from my stack that has ended up serving me really, really well was Chris Cleave's Everyone Brave is Forgiven. Now, honestly, I think it did surprise me because you were not a big reader of historical fiction at all. And you didn't read as many novels then as you did now. I think this was early 2016, but like you were <laughs> reading it in bed at night and laughing and you're like, you got to read this book. You got to read this book. It's like, it's World War II historical. Are you sure? But that was one of my favorite books of that year. And it's still something I look back on fondly. I know that book set you down a path. Slowly, but yes, I've, I've now read, I think I've read all of Chris Cleve's books and loved them all. I really appreciated how like you recommend books that I enjoy all the time. And like, I feel, I feel like for my job, I'm often trying to find stuff and it's nice to have them found for you. That is hard work. So I'm glad you (laughs) appreciate when I find one. Although sometimes like we had very different opinions. Most of the time when you're like, oh my gosh, this is so good. You have to read it. I really enjoy it. Like everyone brave is forgiven. And you told me to read notes from a young black chef. And I'm sure ton more recently. But this summer, you read Richard Russo's Chances Are before I did. That's not on your favorites list, but out of 100, how many stars do you give that, William? Oh, the Wine Inspector rating on, uh, oh, this was high 80s. I mean, I thought it was great. You might have tossed around words like in the running for best of the year. I can't remember. Did you read it? I did. I totally read it. And the whole time I kept waiting for it to get good. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. But that's funny that you didn't ever get it. I don't know. Did you get, is that the problem? You just didn't get it? I'd like to think that I have the imagination to care about a weekend reunion of 60-something dudes who went to college together and are like puzzling out this mystery that unfolded all these years before in the same place on Cape Cod where they are now. Like, I think I can go there. There is only one woman in the story and she's actually not in the story. Yeah, but I just... She's like talked about, but it was just dudes (laughs) hanging out for the weekend. Yeah, I can see how that might not have landed for you. Like, I really truly... I read a lot of books about dudes but I just didn't feel the same way about it that you did. We had some good conversations about that. And I've since gotten two Richard Russo books um, at the used book sale we always go to that I have not yet read. Wait, I can picture it. One is like very red. Uh, straight Man. Oh, and Nobody's Fool. Was that the other one? No, I didn't find that one. <laughs> Are you peering at your dude shelf? Uh, yes, I could actually see Straight Man. I guess the title stands out on the red cover a little better, but... Okay. So today we're going to talk about your favorite books. Yes. And you're not so favorite books. Do you remember what you chose way back when? Because I am looking at the super secret spreadsheet vault right now and I can see it there right in front of me. I think I said the, the book I hated was the one that became a movie with the Riggins from- uh, Really? Tim um, Riggins is in that? Yeah. Yeah. With uh, Mark Wahlberg. Do you know the name of it? What's the name of it? It's called Lone Survivor. So uh, Navy SEAL book, uh, amazing story, but written by a Navy SEAL. And uh, that was mostly my objection. And then my favorites, Where's Joe Merchant by Jimmy Buffett, and which you were very surprised by, I think. And well, then, you just said you didn't like a book because it was written by a Navy SEAL. And so it's not a natural assumption that anyone could write a great book if that's not what they do. You're refer- I say you're referring to Jimmy Buffett, who is a storyteller and songwriter? Oh, this is, he, this is definitely what he does. Now I've got a new idea of Jimmy Buffett being a multifaceted man, but it was a new idea to me in 2016. So there's two more. Uh, was it uh, Ballad of the Whiskey Robber? It was. Well, I don't know what the third one was. Worm, the first digital world war. I was trying to be well-rounded. <laughs> yeah, I do like that book. That's Mark Bowden, who wrote uh, Black Hawk Down. Um, and I've read a number of his books, and he's great. Okay. 
that definitely does not rank up there as one of the best books of all time. But Well, that's okay. You can interpret favorite books in many different ways. We don't hold you to lifetime favorites around here. And I wanted to be well-rounded. I, I, th- I thought, you know, I do read nonfiction and you could give me that direction as well. How did you choose your favorites for today? Yeah, these, are, these are actually five-star books from the last uh, two years. Um, I, it was really not hard. So I didn't realize it had been three years since I've been on the podcast. And that time, I don't think I had read any of those books, maybe Worm, super recently. But uh, this time I was sort of looking back like just the last two years because I thought I'd been on more recently than that. And, uh, and these just were the easy, easy choices. Okay. Well, you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now. And we will talk about what you should read next, which is kind of strange because we talk about what you should read next all the time. Every time I finish a book. Yeah, we really do, don't we? All right. William, what did you choose for your first favorite book? Uh, this is actually the one I read most recently is uh, How We Fight for Our Lives by Saeed Jones. Mm-hmm. And this is the memoir of a young black gay man who grew up in Texas and then actually came to the University of Western Kentucky, you know, here near us, uh, and then was in New York uh, working for BuzzFeed. He ended up on my radar very tangentially, and then the book ended up in the house. And I was like, oh, I'll I'll pick this up. I'm curious. Um, And I knew a little bit about him, but not this whole story of growing up with a, a single mother and and all of this. I had no idea he went to Western. But it was so his whole life story, but so well done in these very small vignettes. So there's all these different time periods and all these different stories in the chapters that really is beautifully done, just one. He's, he is actually a poet. Um, so just the the language and the detail is, is just really, really wonderful but then also the the whole of it to be like this is me as a whole person but then not feel like you have to tell us everything so there's these really nice like stories or or incidents that mean so much when you put them together to understand like who he is but he doesn't feel it necessary to like fill in all of the detail it was just really well paced uh it was kind of a hard read because there were definitely some difficult stories in there but uh i flew through it it was super fast um i think i read it in like two days two long days, but it was great. I've seen this book everywhere in the last month. It just came out October 8th, but you were the first person to tell me I read this. I loved it. It's amazing. And then I started seeing it everywhere, which was fun because that's not usually how it works. Yeah, that was nice, right? Got ahead of it. But yeah, it's winning all kinds of awards and stuff. Um, even though it didn't come out till uh, October, it's on a bunch of 2019 best lists and stuff. Well, I haven't read this yet, but based on your strong recommendation, I'm definitely going to soon. Also, it's slender. It's only 200 something pages. I downloaded the audiobook and I think it's four something hours. And that was my first hint that, I mean, it should have been obvious to me, but I hadn't thought through like how difficult the content would be. Because I said, I downloaded the audio and you were like, oh, okay, let me tell you a few things about where and when you want to listen to that. Just because you said, you know, that I can be like a sensitive soul and that it's hard to read about, even though it's really beautifully done. Yes, for sure. Well, what did you pick for your second favorite? I always feel like that sounds like your next best book. And you know, that's not at all what we mean. And I had to think real hard which one I was going to go first with, because they're definitely not ranked. But the next one is Plain Song by Kent Harif. I'm only 90% sure that's the book. <laughs> it's been on our shelves for a while. But I read Plain Song, I think it was Plain Song, 
and then two or three of his other books, like all in a row. I mean, I just loved it. And so I just ate up all of them. So because I read them all within a very short period of time, I sort of confused them. Uh, the story of a small uh, Colorado community and uh, young woman's in some trouble and gets hooked up with these uh, older brothers, single guys, um, work uh, on a farm and live outside of town and really have no idea what to do with this young lady. The idea of, of that sort of found family and the community taking care of each other and the amazing sense of place of just being like out on the frozen Colorado plains. It was also beautifully written. I mean, I think it's just a little spare, but um, like really, what do you say when you don't want to keep saying beautiful? <laughs> Lyrical, graceful, dazzling, stunning. Not dazzling. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so a little spare, but still lots of, of detail to give you that really good um, sense of the setting and the place of, of this town. I love him. I'm glad I found him. I've read everything that was on our shelf. So I thought I had read all of his books. I never bothered to look up and see how many he had. So that was last fall. And then this year, you did a one great book episode on Our Souls at Night. And I was like, wait, I thought I had read all of these books. And so I, I tore through a bunch or three of them last year and then and then read that one again. So the three books I, I read last year, Plain Song, Eventide, and Benediction, there, it's not a series, but they all take place in this same Colorado town, and there's some overlapping characters. It's a lot like Wendell Berry's, you know, Port William type characters, where like there's this interconnection, and so you don't, you can read them in any order, and it's not super important to track the full storyline, but you you have characters that you know and love. I hear you on that. What did you choose for your third favorite? So this one, when I said they were all easy to pick, um, they really are stand, standout books from the last couple of years, and this one. I honestly might have forgotten. That's why you got to write down your, your books. But this is probably my favorite book possibly ever. It's Gold by Chris Cleave. So we talked about Chris Cleave and how I started reading Chris Cleave a couple years ago when I read Everyone Brave is Forgiven. And then didn't immediately, unlike last year where I was running through the Kent Harriff books, I didn't read all of Chris Cleave immediately. But I read Little Bee, uh, which is like an immigrant story. Loved that. And then I picked up Gold. And this is about two velodrome cyclists. They're like Olympic hopefuls, basically grew up through the program together. And there's all this competition between them. But there's also this sense of a family of being on a team, but it's not a team sport. So you're really like, you know, on your own and fighting for everything. It was amazing. There's sport in it. I don't think that was really important, but it was, a, uh, like I said, it added that, that element of like competition to these personal relationships. It has definitely heartbreak and just this really sweet connection between the athletes and their friends and family and the athletes and the coach and the, the two women, you know, between each other. Definitely one of my favorite books from the last few years, but possibly ever. And this is another one that I haven't read yet. I intend to. It's like I give you recommendations and you just don't do anything with them. I read lots that you recommend. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's so much to read. Yep. You know, I really like visiting old books during the winter time. When there's more reading time, I think you get to like cuddle up on the couch and when it's dark and freezing outside. So maybe I just need to get a stack on the coffee table going of the old books because I know I'll be reading plenty of new for summer reading guide season because that starts like pretty much now. Well, I have a couple of recommendations for you. Have you read Little Bee? No, I still haven't read that one either. We have a lot okay. of Chris Cleave on our bookshelf that I have not read. I accosted a woman at the library who was checking out Little Bee. That's not like you. No, it's totally not. She was 
probably 80 and checking out a book and I'm like, are you checking that out or returning it? Oh, you'll love it. It was so great. <laughs> I love it. All right. Tell me about a book that wasn't for you. At last time I picked that Navy SEAL book that was written by someone that I said, like, he probably should have gotten a ghostwriter, right? This time I picked up a book called Life Rider by Laird Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And it's listed as by Laird Hamilton. And he's a big wave surfer in Hawaii, sort of all around waterman, does all kinds of sports. Uh, he He's invented water sports. I mean, he's done all kinds of stuff. He, I know he's written another book that I have not actually read. This one was pitched as business life philosophy book. So it wasn't exactly a memoir, but it's he's married to Gabby Reese, the volleyball player. And they've got a number of businesses uh, alongside of being athletes and, and doing sporting things. They've got some wellness you know, business and, and they're sort of famous people and whatever. So it's like taking all of that and, and some life stories and like applying them to, to business and philosophy of life, right? So I thought those would be great. And it turns out they're like not quite transcriptions of conversations they had with the actual author dude. And it is not good. <laughs> So I'm, I'm okay with speeches as books. So like the uh, Make Your Bed or uh, This Is Water that are like packaged as small little, you just read the speech instead of watching a YouTube video. But this is, I thought it was going to be a book. And even if it was a book with a ghostwriter, that would have been okay too. But instead of being like interviews that have then been turned into a book, it reads super conversational and kind of rambly. Yeah, it, it just wasn't very good. So it's just not good. So it was like, it sounds like it was like reading the research or reading the first draft. Oh, yeah. I don't know how it came about. It seems like someone pitched an idea and could only get it 60% of the way. So like, well, we'll do this instead. All right. That does not sound like a pleasure. Okay, tell me about the Navy SEAL book. Oh, the Navy SEAL book. So I did know that that was a book that I had uh, said that I hated, Lone Survivor a couple years ago. And then talking to Brenna before this episode, when I was giving her my books, I realized I read another Navy SEAL book since then that I also hated. Do you read any Navy SEAL books you like? Uh, not lately. I uh, read a military book at least once a year. Um, I have a lot of families in the military. I never served, but I sort of feel like remembering these stories is important. And so at least once a year, I'll read a, a book. I read a uh, CIA agent memoir called Left of Boom that I thought was pretty good. He wrote that himself. But no, most of the time, I've, I think I've realized that the journalists are probably better. Mark Bowden that we mentioned before, Black Hawk Down is amazing. It's a very, very complicated story. And he does a great job of giving you things that you can hang you know, information on to understand what's going on. Just tons and tons of names, geography of the city that you have to understand. That was really well done. John Krakauer's book about Pat Tillman was definitely not my favorite John Krakauer book. But again, that's having a journalist sort of tell that story, I think works out a little better. And what are you reading right now? I'm finishing up a book called Magic and Loss. How is that three years later? Three. Because <laughs> I recommended that when you were on episode 61 of What Should I Read Next? Yeah, and I didn't read it. And then again, talking to Brenna about prepping for this, she was like, hey, did you read those books? I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. Uh, it sat on my nightstand at least a year, just sat there. I finally shelved it. And then I pulled it out and started it a couple weeks ago. It's good. I mean, so far, like, I, I definitely understand why you picked it. Her tone and voice is the kind of thing I like, you know, definitely in my interest as far as like how the internet works. Um, and this is Magic and Loss is specifically about like the internet as, in fact, I think the subtitle is the internet as art. And so she talks about the magic things that the internet allows and the way communities use the internet 
that may not even be exactly the way it was intended to use, but they've like created their own thing out of it, that that's the, the art. She has a really long argument about how we are reading constantly. So people say like, oh, I don't have any time to read. Well, they mean they're not reading books, but like you're reading all the time. They're, you know, even if they're Instagram captions, she's like, we, we actually overread now. And so that is sort of an argument for like, when you feel like you don't have time to read, it's because you've been reading literally all day. So interesting. Uh, and then I'm reading the Artemis Fowl series because we have a kid who thinks it's necessary for me to keep up with him. And so <laughs> I've read two of those. I don't know how many there are, but this is a- Oh, there are uh, a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because I requested every single one from the library for him as he was reading. Yeah, there are a lot. He has started requesting them from the library himself for me. <laughs> so he'll tell me, like, he tells me, like, oh, the new one's here. Are you done with the other one yet? I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just finished Of Mice and Men. Okay. So you really are reading a lot inspired by your kids, which is funny because I'm also currently reading a book that our nine-year-old boss to me to read. And that is also an Owen Colfer book. It's uh, The Supernaturalist which I kept wanting to call The Intuitionist, which is a Colson Whitehead title, like completely different. I'm on page 26. So far, so good. But I love that you picked up Of Mice and Men. I forgot that you did that. But that was not your first time reading yeah, that, that right? was one. No, that was one that I remember loving. And then it was assigned reading. Our high schooler didn't like it. <laughs> and I was like, wait, really? I loved that book. Not that I couldn't remember, but I, w- I wasn't sure if, if I was correct. <laughs> like, do I remember loving this experience correctly or is this fond for other reasons? So I read it. It's very short. I read it very quickly. And I thought it was great. I've still never read that. It's amazing. I think the record should show that she didn't just hurl it. She like drop kicked it. She was really angry. She was really I still angry. haven't read it. So maybe now's the time for me too. Also, it's only 107 pages. So like you can read it very quickly. Okay. They add up though. That's the thing. All these short little books add up to thousands and thousands of pages. I mean, we call it the question that plagues every reader Yeah, because you can only read one book at a time. I mean, even if you're reading seven books at once, you're not actually reading them at once. You can only do one actual book at a time. And sometimes you want to read 30 and it's a problem. However, if you count a book for how many books you read and you're trying to like squeeze in books at the end of the year to, to make your goal or whatever, Of Mice and Men is only 107 pages. Readers, take note. All right. Well, what do you want to be different in your reading life or what do you want more of? So I had thought that I wanted to be different. I wanted to read uh, memoir and and biography. And then I realized I am actually. You you mentioned uh, Notes from a Young Black Chef, which I read earlier this year. The Saeed Jones book. Uh, Last year, I read a great biography on Jimmy Buffett. One of the first audiobooks I've listened to in a long time was Rob Lowe's uh, stories I tell my friends. Mm-hmm. You listen to it. He narrated it. You said, oh, this is so good. So I've definitely been doing that. So maybe not more of that, but I would like that if you have a recommendation in that in that direction. And then also I'd like to read more Kentucky literature. Uh, I read Southernmost earlier this year by uh, Silas House, who's a, a Kentucky writer. And then I had uh, started reading David Joy, um, who's an Appalachian writer and, and writes gritty mountain stories, but he's from North Carolina. I I don't know why I thought he was from Kentucky, but I started getting into his. I read, I believe I read every one of his novels in the span of like three or four weeks Mm -hmm. and then found out it it wasn't Kentucky. (laughs) He hangs out with a lot of Kentucky writers though. So there is that. He does. Maybe that's it. 
Not the same though. So knowing what I know about your reading life, and we have these conversations all the time. Recently, you were like, what should I read next? And I said, I don't know. What are you thinking of? And you showed me a stack, like an actual physical stack of books you had gathered to read next. It was an impressive stack. Yes. Wait, impressive like they were really good or there was it was big? Both and. Oh, okay. Does that stack still exist? Yes. Speaking of Kentucky writers, there was one, Wendell Berry. Oh, yeah. The new Patty Smith memoir. And there's something else that, that definitely felt like fall to me. I think that stack is actually right there on the library ladder. I might have added to it accidentally, but that wasn't because I thought you should read those books. It's because I was moving stuff around to take a photo. <laughs> Real talk. Uh, and the Lola Quartet. Yeah, I want you to read that. Oh, you do? Okay. And then you suggested I read The Glass Hotel. And I didn't love it as much as Station Eleven, but I thought uh, Lola Quartet might help me help me decide where I am on uh, Emily St. John Mendo. no. No, I'm not here for this. I'm going to hide that book. No, I'm just kidding. Like you can, you are entitled to your own opinion, but I think you're really going to like Lola Quartet. It has a really good hook too, right at the beginning. Cause I remember reading this at the beach and being like, William, you have to hear this, this opening line. Oh yeah. I remember that. In fact, that book was the first one great book. And one of the reasons was I really wanted to talk about that premise and how it sucks you in and how it was just really fun. Plus I was reading it in Florida and it's set in Florida. You don't have to read it in Florida. You can read it like curled up in Kentucky in the winter with a cup of tea and that'll be fine. But that was fun for me at the time. Well, it was also uh, the sort of beginning of one great book because when you took a picture of it and shared it and people were really excited because there was a new Emily St. John Mandel book and you said, oh, that's not new. But I have that same problem with like Ken Harif, you know, like I think I've read all his stuff, but I've never bothered to look. So I don't know how many great authors there are that I have torn through their stuff and then not actually gotten all of it. That's right. I forgot about that because you don't know what you don't know and you don't know you don't know it. But I don't think you have read all of Kent Harif actually. And the only reason I know this is because I did do a one great book episode about our souls at night. So I read about his whole career so I could share a little bit about that. And there were some titles there that I did not know that are definitely not in the house and I don't think have come through from the library. Oh, okay. So I know you love him. And then recently you read William Kent Kruger for the first time. And I think you would definitely enjoy reading more of him. Like we have this tender land in the house. And I read the first book in a mystery series by him, Iron Lake, this summer. I think you'd really enjoy those. And also tell me about your relationship with Marilyn Robinson. Marilyn Robinson and I do not have a relationship. <sighs> I think you would really like Gilead by her. Really? A lot. Really? Yeah, because she's so much in the vein of Kent Harriff and Wendell Berry. She does that real close look at a character in a small community really well. That sounds great. She She's one of those uh, authors that's just always around, but I don't really know that much about, uh, you know, I would never have an idea where to start. So that reminds me how there is exactly one book that's not a textbook or, or old poetry mentioned in Anne Patchett's The Dutch House, and it is Housekeeping by Marilyn Robinson. But I really think that you would enjoy reading that one, and I want you to read it so we can talk about it. Sounds good. I'll find it on, on the shelf here. I feel like this is how a lot of our book talk goes. Like, read this so we can talk about it. But for your actual books, how do you feel about zoning in on the Kentucky recommendations and then doing a little nonfiction? Those were all bonuses? Well, I mean, yeah. Great. I definitely want to hit some Kentucky authors. Okay. Wait, first, can I give you a change of pace? Yes. I just finished reading a book. It's the second in a series. I don't know how much of a series series it is. I don't feel like I lost anything by reading the second book first, but readers, if I am wrong, tell us in the show notes, please, at what should I read next It's a book by Louisa Luna. It's an Alice Vega novel because this is her detective protagonist. It's called The Janes. 
Ooh, and it actually, I thought it would make a very good flight pick with a advanced review copy I just finished reading called American Dirt by Janine Cummins. That comes out in January. I think you may really enjoy this as well. In the Janes, Alice Vega is called in as a consultant to the local police department. I think it's the San Diego PD. She's going to be paid cash off the books because the powers that be don't want anyone to know that she's on the case. And she realizes very quickly that she's been called in to break up a trafficking ring. It's a tough case. She calls in an old pal that she worked with in the first book called Two Girls Down because she knows they're a great team and she's going to need help getting to the bottom of this investigation, which turns out to be a lot more sinister and complex than she had at first realized. But the reason I think you may enjoy this book is because you said something about magic and loss and about how you didn't actually use a word, but she's got this like kind of edgy, detached commentary They have really fun like rapport and also internal dialogue. And it's been a while since you've read A Good Mystery. But The Janes is not a mystery that could be covered in Outside Magazine, which I feel like a lot of your reading happiness has come to you by or is definitely adjacent to Outside Magazine. Also, probably the books that I recommend to you come from Outside Magazine because I'm thinking they're not ones you've run across. And I am happy to have them. Okay, let's go Kentucky. How much Barbara Kingsolver have you read? Uh, None. Really? I don't think so. Okay. So that was not shock and surprise. That was like, ooh, what an opportunity. It sounded like shame and surprise. Like It wasn't you know. shame and surprise. <laughs> so I know that we own Animal Vegetable Miracle and we mm-hmm. own Unsheltered, The Poisonwood Bible, which I love and I think you may enjoy too. We might own Prodigal Summer and that would be a good one. But the one that I think would be really nice to start with is The Bean Trees. Which I don't think I've heard of. All the other ones either are in our house and I've seen the titles or I I know something about the stories, but I don't think I've heard of the bean trees. Okay. I think you have. And here's why. Because I read this maybe five or six years ago, and then we moved to a house that had wisteria vines that were really, really beautiful the first year we moved in. And then they didn't like really flower the next couple of years. So maybe we've ruined them. Maybe it was a sign that we needed to move on to a house with a better library. And we didn't move there until after I'd read the book and the title of the book, Bean Trees, they're not trees, it's wisteria vines or branches, whatever you call them. And it wasn't until we moved to this house that had the wisteria where I went, oh, now I see what you were talking about, Barbara Kingsolver. So this is a book that starts in Kentucky and then it goes out West as Kingsolver did herself, but we're still going to go with it. Actually, this is her debut novel. So this is definitely a good place to start with her works. You're certainly not going to miss anything if you start at the beginning. So it's a book where she really like leans on her Kentucky roots because she starts with a girl in Kentucky, in rural Kentucky, who is at loose ends. And then to this, she has the themes of immigration and found families. She goes to the American Southwest. In this book, there are several uh, young people who have lots of of growing up to do. She wants to get out of town. So along the way, she ends up coming to need to care for a three-year-old Native American little girl. So suddenly this girl who just wanted to get out of Kentucky for her own sake is forced to look at somebody else's livelihood as well. And that really changes the way that she chooses to see the world. Well, I feel like this sounds like so serious. When she moves out uh, West, can you tell me it's outdoorsy? If a general like air of red dust feels outdoorsy. She does have to learn to deal with the desert climate, which is completely foreign to her, as you can probably imagine, living in Kentucky. But also there are rattlesnakes and tarantulas. She is a fish out of water. 
So do you like the sound of that? Or do you think you're more likely to read something that's actually in our house right now that you can just like grab and literally put on your TB Red stack? No, I think that was a good place to start with Barbara Kingsolver, especially if it's her debut. I can get it from the library and add it to my stack then. Your friendly local Louisville library. I'm sure there are Ian Culver books waiting for me. So I'll just add, add it to the list. There, <laughs> there are. They emailed me this morning. Okay. How about a Louisville book? Oh, really? Yeah. So I haven't actually read this, but I brought it home from a trip earlier this fall because I want to read it. I saw the press about it and I didn't realize it was a Louisville book. And that just gave me the little bump I needed to actually commit to definitely reading it. This is Whiskey and Ribbons by Lisa Cross Smith. Do you know it? I've seen it. I didn't realize it had anything to do with Louisville. Yes. Have you seen it in our house or like out and about? No, in our house. Because I can almost reach it from where I'm sitting at my microphone. This is a book about a police officer killed in the line of duty and what happens after. And I'm so curious to read a story like this, which I've heard is extremely depressing, but like really poetically done, really beautiful writing that she's really skilled, but like this is serious subject matter. It's told from three different adult points of views and it pivots around one key moment in time and it happens during a snowstorm. When this officer is shot in the line of duty, his wife is nine months pregnant and what happens next is crucial to the story. And also I've told that one of the reasons it's so difficult to read is it goes back and forth in time. So you see what happens after his death, but you also hear his thoughts on becoming a father before the shooting. Oh, I know. I know that's a lot. I've also heard that her style is really unusual, that she really has a way with words. So it's really lyrical and it's really descriptive, but that it carries you along in a way that's not like anything you've read before. I'd heard that and I was curious. And then I found out it was Louisville. It's happening. You might beat me to it, in which case you can tell me all about it. But I definitely intend to read this this winter. That'd be great. I don't beat you to very many books. (laughs) Okay. For your third book, I have a whole list for you. Let me tell you what I did. (laughs) For my third book, I get a list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. Wow. So you're not on Instagram. No. So what I did is I went on the What Should I Read Next account yesterday, and I asked the readers for recommendations of you, a reader who keeps seeking out Navy SEAL stories that you don't actually (laughs) end up enjoying. I asked for actual good ones. Wow. And do you know what happened? Were there answers? There were so many answers, and there were so many recommendations of Lone Survivor. Have they read the book? Readers, we love you. And we, we also love that high humor factor there. I don't know. I didn't ask that. These are not people who have read the book. These are people who know that that's a story. It's the only Navy SEAL book they've heard of. I bet Lone Survivor has a good star rating. How much do you want to bet? I bet it does. (laughs) You know how we feel about star ratings though, right? We have a no Google policy on what should I read next, but I'm Googling this right now. Lone Survivor, Lone Survivor. Who's the author? It's way buried. Marcus Luttrell. Oh my gosh. William, 4.35 68,296 ratings. 68,000 ratings? The problem is, okay, this is where you get into what's wrong with star ratings, right? (laughs) It is an amazing story. And so people are giving it a high rating because they got to hear an amazing story. It's not a great book. Just watch the movie. Because you've seen that. Of course you've seen that. When I was out of town, probably. Yeah, it's problematic because it condenses like everything down to like one gunfight. But yeah. Were there other choices that the Instagrammers recommended? Yeah. So Curtis, our podcast guest, 
our favorite What Should I Read Next Army book recommender from episode 164. Chelsea and Curtis, yeah. Chelsea told me like, he saw your call for recommendations and he literally ran to our bookshelves. So I have five for you and I'm wow 94% confident you haven't read four of them. Okay. What's the one? It's War by Sebastian Younger. Have you read that? No. That's a good one though. I like Sebastian Younger. Right. Because we went to that amazing event with him for the Kentucky Author Forum where he talked about Tribe. Mm-hmm. Oh, so fascinating. And you read that one, didn't you? I read Tribe, yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure you haven't read the rest of these, but let's go. And I just have the publisher's descriptions. The first one is by Clinton Ramesha. It's called Red Platoon, A True Story of American Valor. What do you know? I I know nothing. I've never heard of this author. I I don't know. This is, according to the publisher, the only comprehensive firsthand account of the 13-hour firefight at the Battle of Keating by Medal of Honor recipient Clinton Ramesha. Four readers of Black Hawk Down by Mark Bowden and Lone Survivor. And Romesha is the guy who spearheaded both the defense of the outpost and the counterattack that drove the Taliban back beyond the wire and received the Medal of Honor for his actions. I gathered all these together, so you can check them out later. Kirkus Reviews called this an account of the horrendous October 2009 attack on the American combat outpost Keating in Afghanistan, told in a frank, engaging vernacular by the Staff Sergeant and Medal of Honor winner. He captures the daily dangers faced by these courageous American soldiers in Afghanistan. That is Red Platoon. The next one, The Outpost, an untold story of American valor. This is also about combat outpost Keating. This one is by Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper, the news reporter? Yes, the ABC News senior White House correspondent. Oh, okay. The publisher calls this a tour de force of investigative journalism. This is about the same event. And the publisher says that Jake Tapper exposes the origins of this tragic and confounding story, exploring the history of the camp and detailing the stories of soldiers heroic and doomed, shadowed by the recklessness of their commanders in Washington, D.C., and a war built on constantly shifting sands. How do those sound? Well, that's interesting. I uh, would probably start with Jake Tapper, but only because... The other one was written by the guy, and you know how I feel about that. I, I do have to say, since it's a theme, the reviews on all of these are really good. Okay, the next one is Outlaw Platoon, Heroes, Renegades, Infidels, and the Brotherhood of War in Afghanistan. This is by Sean Parnell, who is a former army officer, but he worked with the co-writer John R. Bruning. So the publisher says they reprise Parnell's 16 months as an infantry platoon leader in Afghanistan in this heartfelt memoir. In 2006, Parnell and his 10th Mountain Division platoon, the self-styled Outlaws, arrived in Afghanistan's Burma Valley, which borders Pakistan. Their mission was to stanch the flow of enemy troops and supplies into Afghanistan. Besides their 32 Purple Hearts, the platoon, which usually patrolled with about 30 men loaded into six Humvees, earned seven Bronze Stars and 12 Army Commendations for Valor, making it one of the most decorated units in the Afghan War. The publisher also says that Parnell balances sentimentality with sincerity and crisp prose to produce one of the Afghan war's most moving combat narratives. For readers who care, the Audible version has been called brilliant by multiple reviewers. All right, next up is Pale Horse, Hunting Terrorists and Commanding Heroes with the 101st Airborne Division. This is by Jimmy Blackman. Pale Horse is the remarkable, never-before-told true story of an Army Aviation Task Force during combat in the Afghan War, told by the commanding officer who was there. 
Set in the very valleys where the attacks of 9-11 were conceived and where 10 medals of honor have been earned since that fateful day the war began, the narrative races from ferocious firefights and bravery in battle to the quiet moments where the courageous men and women of Task Force Pale Horse catch their breath before they take to the skies again. Blackman writes with a power and hard-hitting honesty that leaps off the page. Kierkegaard calls this a vivid, action-packed combat memoir. His book explores what life is like for those boots on the ground as well as in the air. And finally, War by Sebastian Younger. So I feel like this is the backstory to what we heard him talk about when he discussed Tribe at the Kentucky Author Forum. This is how the publisher described it. War shows the reality of combat, the fear, the honor, and the trust among men in an extreme situation whose survival depends on their absolute commitment to one another. His on-the-ground account follows a single platoon through a 15-month tour of duty in the most dangerous outpost in Afghanistan's Karengal Valley. Through the experiences of these young men at war, he shows what it means to fight, to serve, and to face down mortal danger on a daily basis. All right. How do those sound? Any of those float your boat? Oh, I definitely think I'll start with uh, Sebastian Younger. I've, I've a couple of his books. He's great at capturing both outdoorsy, um, right? He, he writes a lot of that out in the world sort of uh, nature type stuff, but then also the like emotional, um, I mean, a tribe is definitely all about that community and, and he's embedded with these guys for, for long periods of time. So that'd be a great place to start. But I'll definitely add those others to my list as well, because uh, if Curtis has a recommendation there, I, I appreciate having somebody who's checked these out and has not just given stars for great stories, but also thinks they're good books. William. Of the books we talked about at length. Oh, so many. We've got The Bean Trees by Barbara Kingsolver, Whiskey and Ribbons by Lisa Cross Smith, and Outlaw Platoon, Pale Horse and War. Of those books, what do you think you'll read next? Out of that group, I will probably start with Whiskey and Ribbons. Partly because we have it in the house, I know that, um, but partly because you haven't read it. You don't have to put it in my hand and say, here, read this so we can talk about it. I will, I will have already read it and be ready to talk about it. Well, I will deliver it to you right after this episode. Well, thank you. Thank you for talking books with a microphone with me today. Happy to. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Will, and I'd love to hear what you think he should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 214, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, next week we've got an episode you need to listen to as you prep for the new year and particularly as you look to track your books in 2020. It's a good one and it will put you in the right frame of mind plus give you practical guidance to make 2020 your best reading year yet. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Follow us on Instagram for more beautiful bookishness. Find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? Readers, we have revamped our weekly newsletter. I can't believe, seriously, can't believe that it took nearly four years for this to occur to me. But starting last week in each delivery, I'm sharing three things I love, one thing I don't, and what I'm reading now. We've already heard great things about the new format. You can get yours by signing up now at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com and you'll get our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast, all we want for Christmas here at What Should I Read Next HQ is ratings and reviews. Please share What Should I Read Next with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share the show on your favorite social media platform. We would be so grateful. And that love language totally applies to authors as well. If you've read my book, Reading People, or I'd Rather Be Reading, I would be most grateful for a review on Goodreads or Amazon. It doesn't have to be long or complicated. A quick one or two sentence review as simple as, I love this book 
means a lot to an author. And thanks to the fancy algorithms that rule everything these days, it really helps more readers find my books. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>